0: from hrgrapevine.com it's the hr grapevine podcast Hi, everyone. Eric Niewerowski, host of the podcast. Thank you for joining me. And this week's episode is the sixth and final installment of our Workplace of Now, which is a special series we've been producing along with our partners at Zealous. Now, for those of you who don't know zealous are the uk and ireland's leading provider of payroll and hr solutions they have over 50 years of heritage and industry experience and have been ahead of the curve throughout so in this final episode of the workplace of now i want to talk about diversity specifically diversity from the top down now what does this mean well essentially it is of my opinion and many others that for any sort of change to a truly more inclusive workplace. This sort of drive really only gets going when a company's own leadership kind of takes stock of how diverse they are. So to help me unpack diversity from the top down and what it all means, I'm thrilled to be joined by Melanie Hill. She is the Chief Marketing Officer at Zealous. So Melanie and I are gonna discuss a lot of things, but mainly we're gonna talk about if HR should take a look at its own house when it comes to diversity. We want to talk about how the meaning of inclusion has changed within the hybrid workplace. And then we're going to talk about the different data points we need to make well informed decisions around the DE&I area. You know, I really want to thank Melanie for taking the time to lend her insights and opinions on diversity within leadership. Neither one of us are DE&I policymakers. We neither one of us work in HR, but we're both advocates on the subject. And it was great to get Melanie's perspective as a mixed race of person in a leadership position and truly how important a drive to inclusion is and acknowledging that it takes a long time to achieve those goals. So a really insightful conversation, and I hope you enjoy it.
1: So my name is Melanie Hill. I am the Chief Marketing Officer for Zealous. Um, have been for the last two years, and Zealous is the UK and Ireland's leader in HR and payroll software.
0: So I just want to kick it off with... A lot of pressure mounting to deliver on D, E and I goals. Should HR take a look at its own house
1: first? Oh, that's a big question. So I think um, before I go into the answer, I think what's really important is to sort of set a bit of context. So for me, it's really important to understand the positive impact that getting your DE and I right will make mm-hmm. on a company. Mm-hmm. So, um, and actually, I think it goes as far as impact bottom line. I think there are some, and I'll talk about a couple of examples um, that I'm really passionate about as well. But I think there are some studies that show if you get your diversity right and you're, you're an inclusive environment, inclusive work, you can actually increase your profits by up to 33%. Okay. And by like getting your gender diversity right, you can increase your profits by up to 21%. So I think it's not just, I, I mean, I, what I want to point out is it's not just a fad. It's not something that is of the moment although it is of the moment but I think it's something you know certainly since George George Floyd people have got to start thinking about this and they've got to start thinking about how they're going to make a change at their organizations you know if you have diversity of thought and I'm really passionate about this and people in my team will, will, will hopefully testify to this but I'm really passionate that if you get diversity of background diversity of thought um, you will end up getting to a better decision. Um, and I I really think you know, challenging people's decisions and, and working them through with different backgrounds and diverse thoughts is is by far the best way to go. So, my background is actually in finance. I used to work in um with large tier one banks, and one particular tier one bank had embarked upon a 10-year cultural change program. And for me, this really has stuck with me and has really made me sort of passionate about the whole DEI space. So, a really big tier one bank. Won't name the bank, but they are driven from the top because the CEO is completely passionate and um, about the fact that he needed to have a diverse and inclusive organisation. And they right. began their journey probably about fifteen years ago, actually, um, which is really progressive for the time. Yay. and it took it took them ten years, really to make an impact on how inclusive and how diverse their organization was. It moved away from being the kind of, you know, um, white, middle class male decision making to Mm -hmm. a really inclusive, creative environment where people were invited to have their opinions heard, make mistakes, make mistakes quickly and move on. And, And you didn't need to be kind of always right, like, you know, that kind of sort of old fashioned perspective of the leader has to always know the right answer. Actually, the lead, you know, no one person knows all the right answers, but a group of people can absolutely help you to get to the right answer. Right. And they, they, they absolutely saw a positive impact on their bottom line. So, and it, that story really stuck with me because it took such a long time, 15 years really for them to make a change. Mm-hmm. Um, and they're not alone. So I think, I think for me, you know, it's, you know, there's no sort of big regulation for getting this right. There's no kind of, you know, there is pressure. Certainly, there's, you know, little regulation, little government, little sort of government pressure to kind of get this right. So it's absolutely the right thing to do. It can impact your bottom line, and you have to be honest. And that, that to me is the important bit. So you have to be honest and transparent. And no one's going to be hundred percent perfect. So looking at your own house and getting that in order is are two different things. You have to look at your own house. You absolutely have to be transparent and honest about where you are. Because as, as I said, in that example, you know, it can take 10 to 15 years to really make a difference. So you have mm-hmm. to be honest about where you are today. And you, you have to use data to, to, to reveal where you are today. It has to be data decisions and honest about where you want to get to. And, and to be, Transparency about the fact that that's going to take you time, you're not always going to get it right, is absolutely, I think, the bare minimum of what companies need to um, aspire to. So I think it's about the journey, right? So you look at your house, not no no houses are going to be perfectly in order. Right. You try to be transparent and honest about where you are today, um, and you know that can evolve year on year, but you have to basically. Be honest, transparent, driven from the top. The only way you make that change is driven from the top. But it's about the journey for me. It's absolutely about the journey. I don't have a problem with companies saying, yeah, this, this is where we are today. We don't have a particularly diverse workforce. Um, we don't have enough women. We don't have enough, you know, um protective characteristics represented in our organization but but we're aware of it and it's important to us and we're passionate about it and we recognize it's the right thing to do so for me it's that message that is the most important one
0: it, it definitely seems like this is a it's a marathon more than a sprint right and it, it am i safe in assuming that
1: i think it has to be viewed that way we you know in zealous when we and i am i am no expert i'm not i don't i'm not an hr expert at all no expert in this space um but you know when we started our journey at zealous we talked to a number of our customers that are were well progressed in their journey and mm-hmm. some of the statistics were kind of quite worrying you know to and i'm i'm gonna um grab some numbers from memory so they may not mm-hmm. be completely accurate but some of our customers very long established organizations um you know took something like 10 years to get close to close to 60 to 80 percent of people to declare their data on their gender right. um, and their ethnicity and they hadn't even you know really they then were starting to look at other protected characteristics that were less visible, you know, mental disabilities. Um, yeah, yeah, so uh, sexuality, for example. So the point was that the point is that it takes a long time um, to really gather that intel and to we even to get the data to set your policies against and to set Mm -hmm. your KPIs and goals against can take a long time. It's it's not even a marathon, it's like a slow walk. You know, you're not going to run. You can't run this marathon. You've just got to you've got to you've got to have visibility of where you are and openness and visibility of where you want to get to. And when I say openness, I mean, you know, in one year, you may change year on year about where you want to get to, you know, because you learn more and you get more data points and you talk to more people and you get more perspectives, and actually you will move the needle year on year about what you want to collect. So for me, it's the slow plodding journey, the transparent visibility of where you are, where you want to get to and flexing that year on year, I think is absolutely fine. So I, yeah, there's so many things that, um, that are important in this yeah. Again, ultimately you want to drive to an inclusive inclusive organization that's 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 the ultimate goal
0: yeah so i uh so i live up here in scotland right and i'm, I'm going to veer off for a second but but it it will make sense, I promise. So after my first year of living here, I decided I'm gonna go and bag a Monroe, right? That's like a mountain, but not quite a mountain. It's called a Monroe, and there's a bunch of them here. So the first one was Ben Loman. And I remember it was a rainy day and I didn't bring the right kit and my I'm I'm soaked. And I clear a ridge. And as I'm walking up to this ridge, I go, I that's it. I've done it. I bagged the Monroe. And then I got to the ridge, looked left, and I was maybe, maybe three quarters of the way up. Right. And so when I think about this diversity issue and, you know, making a diverse and inclusive workforce, I like like your slow walk for a marathon. I like my mountain analogy where you think you're there. And I wonder if those goalposts then are constantly
1: moving. Right. I think like, so. Yeah. yeah, I think so. I mean, I, I'll tell you I I why I don't like the mountain analogy. Okay. <laughs> That's because yeah. the mountain the mountain analogy makes it seem hard, right? And yes. and what I don't want people to feel is this is like a massive mountain that we need to climb within the next 5 years. Actually, you know, taking a slow stroll to the beach on a downward incline is is as good. It's like okay. I don't want I really don't want people to think it's hard. That's that okay. And that's one thing, you know. I think it's the, the the even slow pace in the right direction is is really the way to sort of view it. Yeah, that's okay. that. So, so I, I will guess, I,
0: so I, I will cancel the mountain analogy and we'll go to the
1: slow
0: decline into a beach because that actually sounds much more lovely than it what I. You were mentioning about how this tier one leader was, you know, wanting to change. Basically, you know, the entire scope of the company culturally, and one of that is within leadership. And I think one thing that we've learned in the last, I think we're going on three years now in pandemic and into this post pandemic is that I feel that the most successful leaders and by extension, most successful businesses they've gotten, they've succeeded because those leaders have shown that vulnerability and it all kind of wraps into this one thing with Now we're not in the office, right? You and I are both from our respective home working environments right now. So the hybrid workplace is not going away. You'll have a lot of other, especially in the finance sectors, you know, your Goldman Sachs CEOs, your Lord Allen Sugar say, you know, get back into the office. Um, But we're not. And we have to be at peace with that. And so how has with, with this in mind, how has the concept of inclusion changed within this new hybrid workplace that we live in?
1: So, I mean, obviously, hybrid working has increased um, the diversity of, has, has broadened the diversity of workforces. Obviously, mm-hmm. I mean, that's, 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 that goes without saying. The talent pool is broader. You can hire more people from different areas. You know, things like dis- physical disabilities now don't become an issue at all. So I think it's definitely increase the diversity. Um and we're all experiencing the war on talent, right? Everyone is acutely aware of it being an employees market right now. uh, You know, so I think I think COVID hybrid working has kind of leveled off the playing field, certainly. Mm -hmm. And uh, I think you know you can get a diver and and you've got you can get a more talented work pool now. There are, and I actually was reading about it this morning, but there were there are some studies that have also shown there's the Future Forum, which um and they talk to 10,000 employees across globally so but in major countries so so well major countries globally so uk us germany australia japan i think um and that study obviously post covid flexible working hybrid working showed that black or um black or brown employees were actually finding it easier and less stressful to work from home okay mm-hmm. so if you kind of like just thinking about that and kind of unpacking that a bit I mean that's great right so they're at home they're working from home and they're less stressed so that is absolutely great and that is obviously going to play into your your DEI story um, so I think yes it's leveled off the playing field but I think there's a there's another angle if you look at the fact and actually it's not surprising that you look at like women you know, people um, of, of of specific ethnic backgrounds, you know, they experience sort of microaggressions on a daily basis, right? They, of course, they do. So it's not surprising that they probably find it more. You know, women walking down the street experience it all the time. So it's not surprising that actually they find it, they could find it more stressful to come into the working environment. I suppose my worry is that that the extended kind of hybrid working will not address those issues. And actually, if if people are stressed because of their ethnicity coming into work and of course it's not just the UK this is a broader study so there'll be other cultural sensitivities that play into that we need to start thinking about why they are and start trying to address those And, and to have a truly inclusive environment would mean that those stresses were eliminated when you're in the office not just when you're working from home so my worry about about that is the And I don't know the answers, but the extended period of kind of hybrid working and working from home um, may mask addressing those issues. So, you know, and and that that is a concern. Um, But, you know, I, I don't I don't think. I don't think there's any reason for us to change the hybrid working. I think actually it's demanded, you know, the diverse workforce, war on talent, you absolutely have to provide a, a kind of almost hybrid and, and flexible working. Right. Um, but I do, I, I do worry about the long-term impact of exclusively working from home and not coming into the office and th- the things that they, that may mask um, and, and the fact that companies may not even be aware of them to start addressing those issues.
0: Okay. Let's wrap it up. I want to talk about data or data. I know yeah, you're a yeah. big, Data, data fan. I'm not. I'm not a numbers guy. I'm a visual guy. But I'm really wanting to hear your insights on this. You mentioned it before. You need data, data points to drive these decisions and 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 drive the changes, right? So, what data do we need to make these well-informed decisions regarding DE and I?
1: Yeah, such a big question. <laughs> um, <laughs> it's such a big question. But look, I, the reason data is or data is more important is, is important to me is again that you can't move the needle unless you have your data points right you you can't if you don't know where you're starting from you can't set policies to because you don't know what the problems are and you can't set policies to make those changes um and you can't even recognize that you're moving the needle so we did a big study with the economist on dei data declaration mm-hmm. um and, and we've, we've begun, we're quite well progressed at Zealous on our journey for our own DEI data declaration. Our products can actually help you to do that. So obviously we sell HR solutions, so you can actually collect your DEI data through our solutions. So for us, what we discovered with this survey, and we will do this on an annual basis, we interviewed um, frontline workers and middle management, but what we discovered was that from a broad perspective, you have to have the trust of your employees um, if you're going to ask them for their data, especially on right. protected characteristics. Because what was what the data, what the data, what the survey showed was that if you don't have the trust, you won't get the data, and then you can't actually set the policies and move the needle. But employees, frontline workers, their their managers weren't trusting that organisations were going to use the data in the right way. Um, they weren't, they weren't trusting that they were actually going to use the data to set the policies and actually to, to make, to, to make a change. So, um, and then if you look at the people with protective characteristics, there was even less trust, right? So, mm. so you kind of almost get in this vicious cycle that people aren't, you know, the employees aren't trusting what you're going to do with the data and therefore won't give the data. And therefore you can't get the benchmark. You can't get the baseline to make the improvements. Right. So it's all about building, you know, the data, is this almost a secondary point the first point is you've got to build the trust of the organize. you've got to build the trust of the employees um, and they've got to really believe that you are going to do the right thing with the data and that can only come from the top it goes back to that point that your leadership team have got to be passionate and driven and mm-hmm. people have got to believe that that they want to make a change and if you don't have that almost people feel like it's a tick box exercise. So they don't, they don't, you know, they're not interested in being part of it because it's like, I don't believe you're going to do the right thing with that data. And then I think one of the other interesting things that the survey showed, there's there's actually companies are asking some of the questions, but maybe they're asking the wrong questions. So they're kind of almost a little bit antiquated in the way they're, the questions they're asking. So for instance, they may ask questions about gender, whether you're married, whether you have children, Mm -hmm. okay? But that's not those questions in isolation are not representative of today's society. And um, so so they may be asking the questions, but sometimes the employees, especially ones of protective characteristics, felt that they may be asking the wrong question. So therefore, you're just like, uh, what is this? This is this is not going to help anything. So I think. And then one other thing I wanted to point out, and I'm probably rattling on too long, but I think for us, when we did it, uh, we did, you know, constructed our data declaration. And when we constructed the survey questions with the economists on data declaration, it was really important that we made sure we had um, cultural sensitivities recognized in there as well. Mm -hmm. So, for example, in Ireland, we recognize you had to be sensitive to asking questions about religion in india we have a a workforce in india you have to be very sensitive or probably not ask questions around sexuality because actually they could lead to uh, violence aggression and and maybe even worse so you have to be really you know and that that means you know you've got to be very very careful so you have to there's cultural and i don't know all of them but there are cultural sensitivities you definitely need to overlay into those questions that you're asking and the data points that you're going to collect. Um, And then I think the other piece is you just got to be honest. Again, it's all about honesty and transparency. You've got to talk to people. So you've got to, you've got to ask people within your organization, what is the, what are the right data? I mean, I don't know what the right data points are to collect. I I couldn't say for one organization, it may vary to another organization, but I think the most important thing is talk to your people because they're the ones that you're actually going to try and get their viewpoints. And therefore, you need to make sure they're comfortable um, and you're asking the right questions. And no one person or one department can know all of that. But I think it's all about just getting a broad perspective, pulling in all those data points, being honest that you might not get it right um, mm-hmm. from the get go and, and and learning. And it's the journey down to that beach, that that idyllic beach. Um, yeah, those will will educate you further.
0: Once again, big thanks to Melanie Hill, Chief Marketing Officer at Zellas for taking the time to chat with me today. I really appreciate her insights and expertise in helping me unpack what diversity from the top down, really what that looks like. I really appreciate Mel's analogy of that slow walk down to the beach and honestly it's much better than my analogy of mountain climbing. But that's the point, it shouldn't be hard. There is that journey to a very inclusive work environment. I think it's just key, as Melanie said, that business stakeholders need to know that it's going to take a long time. So again, big thanks to Melanie and a big thanks to all of you for listening. And that is the conclusion of our Workplace of Now series. Again, a huge thanks to our partners at Zealous for taking part in this podcast. I've covered a lot in these six episodes with zealous and their thought leaders everything from failing that younger generation of workers to diversity to defining a healthy workplace and all parts in between we've really kind of broken down what the workplace of now looks like and what it could potentially be so again huge thanks to zealous and a huge thank you to all of you for listening and we'll be back with another edition of the hr grapevine podcast next week